0: Hello, and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien, and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Candid West. This week's podcast is the 50th edition of the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief. When we started the podcast last year, it was very much a step into the unknown for us. But right from the start, we were bowled over both by the numbers of people listening every week and the positive response it's received. So we'd like to thank you all for listening and we'd love if you stick around for another 50 episodes in this week's podcast we'll be talking about a cryptocurrency startup that uh, packed its customers wallets in order to stop attackers from stealing funds. how a cinema chain's efforts to beef up its password security went disastrously wrong the latest on the blue De- blue keep or dp vulnerability why a supposedly why supposedly secure websites are increasingly untrustworthy how the Spanish Football League managed to get itself in hot water over its app's privacy, and the strange tale of how someone attempted to batmail the band Radiohead. But first, A lot of people use some free open source software, either for work or home. And if you're one of those people, you may be interested in this story, because one of the downsides of free software projects is that while they're often supported by skilled and passionate developers, they frequently don't have major budgets behind them. And they're often reliant on donations or plain goodwill to keep them up and running. That can be an issue though when it comes to security, because one of the most popular ways commercial software developers find and fix vulnerabilities in their product is by paying security researchers to discover them. This is done what's by what's known usually as bug bounty programs. Uh, So rather than relying on the finite resource of your own staff to find bugs, you open it out to the world at large, which is potentially a far larger pool of bug hunters. Now, bug bounty programs incentivize security researchers to actually go looking for bugs, and they also go some way towards removing the temptation for some people to sell vulnerabilities they find on the underground where they could be used for nefarious nefarious purposes. Now, each bug bounty program differs in terms of just how much they pay to researchers for bugs. Usually there's a sliding scale of rewards depending on the severity of the bug discovered, but most programs do offer a not insignificant sum as a bounty and researchers can often earn thousands for more serious bugs. So what happens if a software developer can't afford a bug bounty program? Well, the European Union has recently begun an interesting initiative that could point the way to an answer. It's called the EU Free and Open Source Software Audit, or FOSA for short, and as part of it, the EU is promising to pay bug bounties for a range of popular free open source software packages. Now, it all started back in 2014 when, after the discovery of a number of high profile vulnerabilities in key software packages like OpenSSL, two members of the European Parliament, Julia Rada and Max Anderson, began, to, began a project to carry out a full inventory of all the open source software that was in use across all EU institutions and investigate how secure it was since then it began piloting a bug bounty program where the eu itself through contracted bug bounty platforms promised to pay bug bounties to people who found vulnerabilities in 15 different software packages so among the software on the list are the content management system drupal the archiving utility 7zip text editor notepad plus plus and the popular media player vlc now, it's early days yet, but it already seems to be having an impact. So for example, earlier this week, VLC released its latest version, uh, 3.07, and it patched 33 vulnerabilities, which was the most security updates it has ever received in a single release. And according to VLC's developers, that was entirely down to its inclusion on the EU FACET project. Okay, now let's turn to Candid, because as I mentioned at the start, this week a cryptocurrency wallet vendor hacked its own customers, but it said it was with good intentions. Candid, what exactly happened here?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have reported on successful attacks against cryptocurrency wallets on this podcast before, right? And I guess if we would add them all up, we probably would get a total of more than $1 billion dollars. Equivalent of crypto coins uh, that were stolen over the last year or so. But this one is a bit different. Um, as security vulnerability was found in a crypto coin wallet, and the wallet in question is called Agama, and it's one of the older wallets for the Komodo platform, but it's still in use. And during a security audit, the security team found a backdoor in the version 0.3.5 which is from April 13th of this year. And this vulnerability would allow any remote attacker to just steal all coins from that wallet. So it's definitely something bad. And as the security team expected an imminent attack to happen, they decided to act themselves. And acting means they used the same exploit, hacked into the wallets of their customers, and then transferred all of their funds to a safe wallet. So according to them, This involved bitcoins and Komodo coins with a total value of about 13 million US dollars. And now of course affected users can reclaim their coins by submitting their old and new wallet address and some contact details to get it done. But let's just hope that no scammer will succeed in actually getting refunds for coins that they don't own themselves.
0: It must have been a shock when people woke up and found they had an empty wallet. Uh, But the vulnerability was not just some coding
1: mistake, am I right? Yeah, correct. Uh, This time, it was not the mistake of the developer, or or at least not directly. As it turns out, there was a quite sophisticated supply chain attack here in play. The uh, team of the NPM, uh, which is a JavaScript package manager, actually discovered a backdoor in a packet called Electron Native Notify. And the code seems to have the attention of stealing seeds and passwords and so on from crypto coin wallets, but it wasn't really evident on which wallet they were targeting at first, as it was, well, kind of well hidden and didn't really make any sense with the payload that was added to the packet. But as often with those uh, libraries, they end up in many different projects. So one of these case um, was the EasyDex GUI application which again is part of the build chain for the Komodo Agama wallet. So this is kind of an impactful example of a software uh, supply chain attack, which shows that it's not always a straightforward or direct compromise, but sometimes it can happen kind of indirectly as well. And actually, it's kind of becoming more common, this tactic, where the attackers publish a kind of helpful script package wait till some larger applications make use of it, or they might even suggest it themselves to get it integrated. And then once someone actually takes the bait, they just switch and modify the code in their backend to add the backdoor that they want to, which of course will then often be automatically added to the whole project. And well, because they just depend on it, they will just integrate it in their own uh, applications as well. And of course, Probably should mention there has been another big supply chain attack talked about uh, this week as Google confirmed that back in 2017, the sophisticated mobile malware called Triada was actually embedded into the Android firmware of at least some devices by an OEM manufacturer. And since the threat was part of the system libraries, it was quite difficult to get rid of it at the time. Um, Of course, Google has now increased their security checks for firmware updates in order to prevent anything like this happening again in the future.
0: So I guess, as always, it's a good tip to um, update uh, to the newest version of whatever wallet or software that you use if you want to keep your data safe. Absolutely. Now, uh, passwords are often a topic of discussion for us, and we generally repeat the same advice. Ensure you have um, passwords that are strong and unique and turn on two-factor authentication where possible. However, we might think everyone knows the basics of password security at this stage, but there was a story this week which shows that that might actually not be the case.
2: Yeah, so uh, one story in the past week might definitely make anyone with concerns about password security uh, despair a bit. So the cinema chain in Michigan, MJR Digital Digital Cinemas Group, announced on its website that it had upgraded its systems, which is all good, obviously. However, uh, the statement, which was published on the homepage of its website, so visible to everybody, also said that existing premier reward members can log into their account using their username brackets email address and password brackets last name with first letter capitalized so obviously uh, anyone with that kind of information anyone who knows your email address and name could then simply log into your account because obviously now they know that that's what your username and password is Uh, So, I mean, publishing information like this publicly in such a manner means that, I mean, you you may as well not even bother with passwords in the first place um, because, you know, they could be guessed by so many people. So why the cinema chain didn't just require people to change their passwords the next time they logged in or something along those lines rather than going with a public notice like this, um, I do not know. And actually, Graham Cluley wrote about this a few days ago. And I actually went on the cinema's website you know, um, yesterday or the day before, a day or two after that blog was published, and the notice was still up there. So um, I'm not even sure they're yet aware that uh, this is a pretty big faux pas.
0: Oh
2: dear. Um, yeah, but I suppose when it comes to passwords, I mean, as you said, like, the key thing is to ensure they're strong, that they're unique, and that they're not easily guessable. And I suppose you need to be unique for each of your online accounts. And given that most people now have an awful lot of online accounts, um, something like a password manager would probably come in handy for most people as well and obviously as well as that we would advise that you don't tell people your passwords, particularly don't post about them um, on a website and obviously as well if it's possible to turn on two-factor authentication when you can as well just to give yourself that bit of extra protection in case anyone does manage to find out what your password might be.
0: Yeah, now um the blue keep rdp vulnerability uh, is something we have discussed i think twice already on this podcast and it's uh, still keeping uh, us busy and the rest of the security industry busy um because while there is no exploitation of it yet there's still a lot of activity
1: surrounding it so candid what's been going on this week Yeah, so once more, we talk about the remote desktop protocol vulnerability, uh, which was patched by Microsoft in May, and it's still making some news. Um, Although it's technically not the Keep Blue vulnerability, as it's um, dubbed, that making the headline at the moment, but um, a few of the other things that we're going to talk about. And probably should mention, as as you said, we haven't seen any exploitation of the Keep Blue in the wild, yet it's still possible that that will come. But we have seen a lot of scanning for vulnerable RDP servers out there, uh, specifically with some peaks around May 27th, and then a second peak on the 1st of June as well. And now even the NSA actually put out an alert urging people to patch their system for RDP.
0: Okay, so I guess by now everyone should be aware that they
1: should patch or at least protect their RDP servers. Yeah, definitely, at least I would hope so. But of course, Exposed RDP servers have been interesting for attackers for a long time. It's not just about this recent vulnerability. And there is yet another botnet painting kind of a crosshair on RDP servers at the moment, the so-called gold Brute botnet, um, which has been scanning for RDP servers. Uh, So far, nothing really special. But the Internet Storm Center now reported that the botnet itself is performing distributed credential brute-forcing attacks, which basically means that They spread the attempts to brute force the password over different bots. And of course, this has the effect that you will only see one failed login per IP address in your log files because they're just using one bot with one account against you, making it quite hard to actually block it as you can't just block every IP address after just one failed login, right? Because that could be a real user. So, hence, it's another good reason to protect your exposed RDP servers out there and probably we should also mention that just because you don't have any RDP servers exposed to the internet does not really mean that you are safe if you still have RDP servers internally as of course the exploit could also be used by let's say a worm that will spread internally laterally in your environment once it's inside your network. And Yeah, we know it as well. There's always someone, so at least one person, who opens that interesting but in fact attachment and then starts to worm from spreading. So yet another reason to patch and safeguard those servers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, the FBI uh, released a public service announcement this week where it warned people to be wary of having blind trust in the little lock icon in your web browser. Bridget, what's been going on here?
2: Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, people have been told for a long time now really to look out for things like the lock icon and HTTPS on website addresses. and But I think an issue here is that many people seem to think that just because a website has those two factors, so has the lock icon and has the HTTPS, that it is automatically assumed that it is legitimate and it can be trusted. However, what these What those two things actually mean is that the data sent between your computer and the website is encrypted and so therefore is sent securely, but it doesn't guarantee that the people behind the website who are receiving your data are in fact trustworthy. And so in this public service announcement, uh, the FBI warns that cyber criminals are now more frequently incorporating website certificates. So the third party verification that a site is secure, which then causes the um, lock icon to appear when they send potential victims emails that then imitate trustworthy companies or their email contacts. And these phishing schemes are used in the usual manner to try and acquire, you know, sensitive logins or banking information or that kind of thing by luring um these people, these victims to a malicious website that does look secure and legitimate, potentially with both HTTPS and the lock icon, which obviously then, if people think that means a website is trustworthy this will then of course increase the likelihood of people parting with their sensitive information and um, so when it comes to this the FBI also dispenses some advice it's saying explicitly that not to just automatically trust a website because it has this lock icon displayed or because it has https in the address bar to always double check that your web the website address is correct you know to make sure check for any misspellings or for any changes for example if a website has com at the end of the address when it should be gov or things like that and also to you know something we've often said never reply directly to a suspicious email you know always send a separate email to an address that you know is legitimate for that contact or for that business so that you know then you will be getting in touch with a legitimate person at the end of it. And I suppose what it is kind of unfortunate that the FBI felt the need to issue this kind of advisory because um, cyber criminals are you know using this tactic more often. Hopefully will you know raise awareness among consumers about this issue so that they will, you know be more wary of websites even ones that do have the lock icon or that kind of thing
0: yeah i think it's quite timely all right because there is a lot of confusion out there um, and a lot of people who mistake what the lock icon means yes um, you know certifying that the site is genuine um, so there's no point in having uh, your traffic secure if you're just communicating with um, the bad guys yeah
2: exactly
0: (laughs) anyway let's turn to our next item because the spanish soccer league la liga which is one of the biggest and best known soccer leagues in the world, has been fined €250,000 this week for misusing their mobile app. Uh, Candid, what exactly did they do wrong?
1: Yeah, apparently La Liga used their mobile phone app to track the users surrounding. So the app itself is very popular uh, for checking, for example, results for soccer matches and seems to be installed by a few million users at the moment. What many users might not have been fully aware is that The app actually tracks the location um, where the phone is, and it can also tap into the microphone to listen into the ambient noise and kind of the surroundings. And this was apparently then used to identify bars that probably would stream the soccer games illegally, so not have any license for it, because you could, of course, hear that the soccer game is uh, currently going on. And of course, it's this behavior which now got fined by the Spanish data protection agency as there is some concern around privacy here, right? But that's probably not the end of it yet as the soccer league does not really agree with the verdict uh, as they argue that users were asked twice by the app for their consent. So the behavior should actually not come as a surprise if you did pay attention during installation. But I guess that's where the problem lies. Most people don't really pay attention. They just click next, next, next. Yeah,
0: they probably probably don't have an expectation that uh, um, the microphone would be used in this fashion, even if they did agree to it.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Nobody really expected that. But due to the public discussion, um, the manufacturer of the application now have agreed to remove at least the microphone option option in the next version of their app. So there seems to be some improvements coming up.
0: So yeah, another case of your own technology spying on you. Um, better switch off your phone while you're watching the game. Um, now, uh, one, another u- unusual story broke this week uh, because someone was apparently trying to blackmail the band Radiohead.
2: Yeah, so um, Johnny Greenwood, who's uh, one of the members, a guitarist with the British rock band, uh, tweeted out this week that the band had been hacked last week um, and that a disc archive belonging to Tom York, the band's lead singer, was stolen. Um, and this stolen archive apparently contained around 18 hours of recordings um, from the period when the band was recording their probably their most famous album, OK Computer, in the mid-90s. And reportedly, whoever stole the recordings, which the band said were never meant to be made public, demanded a ransom of $150,000 or else threatened to release them. Now, however, in quite a, you know, brilliant response, really, rather than giving in to the ransom demand, Radiohead decided to release the recordings themselves. Uh, So they're selling them now for £18 and all the proceeds from any sales are going to go to Extinction Rebellion, which um, campaigns for action on climate change. Uh, now, Johnny Greenwood himself described the recordings in the post on Twitter as only tangentially interesting, but given that many Radiohead lovers and music nerds out there, um, you know, are, are out there, I'm sure there are plenty of people who will be only delighted to get their hands on these recordings, which apparently include, you know, demos of songs that went on to appear and OK Computer, as well as some other entirely unreleased music. Uh, so a rather unusual uh, end to a ransomware story, but kind of a happy ending for once uh, one of these tales.
0: Yes, indeed. When I heard it first, I was wondering who the hell still uses mini disks anymore. And then I realized uh, they were quite old. I feel Um, like a
2: lot of people won't even know what mini disks are, which is, you know, a bit depressing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's about all we have time for this week. Um, If you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all future episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at threat intel or medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel if you'd like to read our latest research check out our blog which can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence we'll be back again next week with episode 51 where we'll be once again discussing what's new in the world of cybersecurity. until then thank you and goodbye